Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Hello and welcome back to the show. It is Monday, May 25th. Glad to have you with us. Uh, We are in the middle of a series called Controversy Theory. So for those of you just jumping in, you might want to go back and and start at the beginning of this little series within the podcast. Uh, For those of you who have been with us the whole time, welcome back. And we will get to our regularly scheduled content here in a minute. Uh, But let's do a minute of transparency first. So this week, I think I just want to throw that out there that the earth just does not seem happy with us, right? So we are in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been going on for months. Uh, Actually, we are just now starting to open back up. Most of the states have uh, kind of given the order for the stay-at-home thing to slow down or stop. Uh, most businesses are now able to be open. So we're really at a, a crossroads here with the whole pandemic thing, um, getting to move away from some of those strict rules that were put in place and uh, test the waters, I guess, to see how things are going to go. Uh, but then, uh, so the story just at the end of the last week, uh, the people of Michigan dealing with massive flooding uh, as a few dams broke and and water started rising up to like nine feet deep in certain places uh, in the Midland, Michigan area and, and surrounding areas. So just just crazy stuff going on, uh, not, not only in the world, but in our country uh, right here at home. And it's really just a shock to the system. You know, I think in, in previous episodes, we've talked about the human condition. We've talked about the sin virus. Uh, and how both of those lead to human suffering. Not just human suffering on a personal level, where you experience, you know, the the issues with your thinking and your behaving and your feeling, but also the human suffering that comes on the earth, right? The the physical down downgrading of the earth as, as we move closer and closer to the end of time. Uh, you know, the earth groaning as as it moves forward uh, and things like this happening with more and more frequency. So just an observation, again, it's something that, uh, you know, has become very upfront and in the, in the forefront for our minds, for media, for the world with the pandemic. But, you know, even things like flooding and earthquakes and hurricanes, you know, those, those are all things that I think we've seen a frequency in uh, increasing over time. And so we'll talk more about that in later episodes, but I just wanted to throw that out there as a minute of transparency that, you know, when you really look at the earth, the earth just does not seem happy, the the physical environment. But that's where we're at. All right. So to intro today's topic, um, this should be a new one for most of you. I don't believe we've really talked about this before on the podcast, uh, but it's the idea that we are all built with a special need, 
a missing piece to us, a a piece that we must find and understand in order to be, to be complete again. And that missing piece is called worship. So today's basic assumption, to be human is to worship. And we'll walk through the four uh, following concepts. What is worship? Worship then and now, three forms of worship, and the worship book. Number one, what is worship? So again, let's let the dictionary define our term. So the word worship um, is defined as a reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage or to any object regarded as sacred. Formal or ceremonious rendering of such honor and homage. They attended worship this morning, as an example. Uh, Adoring, reverence, or regard. So basically, brings in the spiritual element, right? That worship is something that is done to a god or a sacred person or an object. And then if you take the the definition of the Bible, uh, it's very similar in that we are called to worship God. So the same concept of something you're doing to a God or a uh, sacred being. Uh, And this is illustrated in numerous ways throughout the Bible. Uh, And then Jesus also talks about it in the New Testament and explains that people will worship him in spirit and in truth. So where did worship come from, and what does it look like in practice? Well, the simple explanation uh, goes all the way back to the fact that God is our creator, okay? And there's, there's really two elements in that. First, and we've talked about this before, that God created us in his image, right? And we've talked about how God is both creative and he's social, a creative being and a social being. He's creative because he loves to create things, He doesn't want to be alone. He doesn't want to just live in the universe by himself. He wants to create things and and create community. And that brings in the social aspect. So uh, ultimately, he's a relational being. And uh, you can see this in the makeup of the Trinity, right? There's three distinct but interconnected parts to God, all living in harmony. Uh, And so we came by the social and the, the relational piece, honestly. And then second, because we were created, right? So our social connection will be a little different than the Trinity's. Uh, I'm assuming God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are, are more like best friends, all on the same level, all having equal input into the relationship. But we, on the other hand, are created beings, which means the relationship with God is a little bit different. We're not on the same level, and so our interaction with God is less peer-to-peer and more parent-to-child. So let's look at uh, worship through that lens for a minute, the whole parent-child relationship. It's an interesting way to look at worship, right? So children tend to look up to, adore, idolize, right? They want to spend time with their parents while they're growing up. In a healthy family, uh, a child trusts their parents. They aspire to be like them, and they may even, uh, you know, try to imitate their parents' behavior. They want to be physically close to their parents, they want to hug their parents, they want to sit next to them on the couch or, or uh, even jump in bed with them when the bad storm rolls through. Um, on some level, this is the, the perfect illustration of worship. Now I know this changes drastically when the child becomes a teenager, 
uh, and eventually an adult. As humans, we outgrow this need to be connected on that level. Instead, we mature out of this behavior and we kind of become our own person. But before all that, the illustration worked well. And so it is when we worship God. Like a parent, we adore, idolize, spend time with, trust, aspire to be like, imitate, and even long to be physically close to our creator. The difference is we never grow out of it. Uh, When it comes to our children, like we said, they mature and they grow apart from us because we're human. Uh, We make mistakes, we have faults, and eventually our kids will see through those things, right? Eventually they see our faults and they assume that I can do better than they did. And so they set out on their own and become better versions of us. But with God, there is no need to do this, right? He's perfect and always will be. We'll never do it better than him. So unlike the parent-child relationship, our relationship with God is eternal. It is less looking up to and more in awe of, less spending time with, and more must be connected to, and less can I sit next to you, and more please never leave me. There is a heightened level of importance in our relationship with God, something not of this world, something we can't really put our finger on, and yet something we know to be true. So how does worship play out with God? How does this whole worship thing play out? Well, like we said, the Bible offers numerous illustrations of the way people worship God. Uh, But here are some high-level categories. First, we worship God by voting for him in the eternal election, right? This is something we've talked a lot about. Uh, At the end of the day, this is the first and the most important element of worship. Next, you have praying. So, in essence, communicating with God, telling him things that are important to us, asking him for guidance, letting us know you know, when things are going well and when things are not, when we're feeling overwhelmed, uh, telling him how much he means to us and how thankful we are that he created us uh, and saved us and that he wants a forever friendship with us. Next, you have singing. Uh, and unfortunately, this is often the only thing people view as worship, right? This is this is why we have a category of music called worship music. It's why in church we sing worship songs. Um, But just understand that singing to our Creator is worship. It just isn't the only way we worship God. Next, you have learning. Uh, We actually worship God when we put time and energy into learning more about Him. Uh, You know, this can be reading the Bible. This can be reading uh, supplemental material, talking to people, joining book clubs, listening to podcasts, reading blogs. Uh, even, you know, entertainment, movies, TV shows, things that, that have, you know, value to them and, and teach you morals, things like that. Uh, even YouTube clips, right? Anything that helps you grow closer to God is an act of worship. And finally, living. Um, you know, we'll, we'll clump everything else into this category, um, mainly because we are such complex beings with so much going on and so many decisions we need to make on a daily basis. On some level, every single decision we make is an act of worship. Now, I know what color of shirt you wear in the morning is not really an act of worship, but deciding how you respond to an angry driver on the highway might be. Uh, what you decide to spend your money on might be. Uh, deciding whether to help somebody struggling to walk across the street might be. Uh, you know, the more we look, the more opportunities we find to worship God in the little decisions we make every day.
Okay, number two, worship then and now. So it's important to understand that worship took a huge hit when the sin virus entered our world. So worship then, um, prior to the sin virus, looked more like a normal relationship, right? Just as the Trinity was social and in community uh, and relational, God wanted to be social and relational with us. So back then, uh, we were actually able to walk and talk and laugh with God. Until the sin virus, obviously, which separated us from God, uh, no longer could we walk and talk and laugh with him. There was now a distance between us, a wall kind of, you know, built with within our dimensions. The good thing is we know that he's still there because he continues to reach out in a variety of ways, right? There's visible ways to his people, the Israelites. He appeared as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that led his people. Uh, you know, the prophets early on in the Bible were there to, um, you know, connect with God and then bring back messages to the people. And then obviously the life of Jesus, you know, shows us that, um, you know, there's a way that can be made for us to return to the way things were. But also, you know, Jesus lived a perfect life and was an example for us while he was on earth. And more recently through the Bible, churches, preachers, teachers, you know, all sorts of digital resources, you know, we can see the existence of God and learn more about him. And finally, the working of the Holy Spirit. So when, when Jesus returned to heaven, um, he, he gave us the Holy Spirit to, to actually be a piece of him that lives inside of us and, and work, works through us as our conscience. So worship now looks a little different, obviously. Uh, we were created with a social relational piece in place, but when the sin virus entered, uh, it removed that piece, right? And there was a void that remained. Not just a small little hole that we could live with, but a really large hole that actually functions like a vacuum. It just wants to suck things into it in attempt to fill itself back up like before. So we'll refer to this void as the worship void, uh, because the only way to fill it truly and, and correctly is to worship something. If we worship God, it gets filled back up and we start to feel whole again. If we fill it with other things, the void remains and we keep trying harder. So let's look at those two things, right? Worshiping God and worshiping other things. So like we discussed, um, you know, worshiping God looks a little different now than it did at the beginning, uh, but it's still one of our basic human needs. Uh, we have ways to connect with him. Uh, we talked about voting for him, praying, singing, learning, and living. The unfortunate reality, though, is that worshiping God in this new way doesn't really come naturally to us, right? The sin virus changed our DNA. It messed with our human nature, and it tricks us into thinking that we can fill the worship void with other things as well. After all, I mean, there are things that we can do here that seem to fulfill us. They seem to fill that worship void, uh, things that bring immediate satisfaction uh, and appear to help us feel better right here and now. Uh, but in the end, all of these things are just distractions. Uh, and it all comes back to the controversy, right? The battle between God and Satan for our allegiance and for our vote in the eternal election. God deserves our worship because he created us. However, Satan wants our worship because he's jealous of God and wants to prove that he deserves to be worshipped too, or possibly instead of God. However, very few people would knowingly opt in and worship Satan, right? 
even though our, our, uh, great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, um, did that, um, if they knowingly knew what we know now, it's pretty, uh, pretty good bet that they would not choose Satan if they truly understood the beginning from the end and, and how bad the sin virus would be. So humans have had a really hard time wrapping their minds around, um, what it looks like to worship a God who is good, but worshiping something as evil as Satan, I think would just be a glaring distraction to them. It would, it would be way too obvious that that is not a good way to go. Now, obviously we do have people in this world who, um, you know, are actually worshipers of Satan. So, you know, don't get me wrong, that does exist. But I would say for the normal person, um, if they were presented with, um, would you like to worship this being? And here's what he stands for. And here's all of the evil and the negative that he wants to bring on this world. I'm pretty sure people wouldn't um, buy it. People wouldn't go for it. So Satan decided to take a different approach, right? You know, being hell-bent on death and destruction uh, is a hard sell. And so instead of getting people to worship him directly, he focuses all of his energy on indirect worship. If he can just get us to worship other things instead of God, then he is winning. Or at least that's his plan. On some level, it's just smoke and mirrors. It's deflect and redirect. uh, But he is a master and there are so many people who can't see it for what it is. And not crazy people. I'm talking people like you and me. Uh, we, how easily we can be distracted by some simple things uh, that the world has to offer. And, uh, you know, we start to make them a part of our life. And before you know it, we're actually worshiping those things. So let's talk more about that. Number three is three forms of worship. Now that we've walked through what it is to worship uh, and how it has changed, uh, it might be helpful to look at it from a different perspective. So controversy theory suggests that if you were to look at all of the various ways we worship, you could probably clump them into three categories. Uh, And these categories are sincere worship, token worship, and worldly worship. The first, sincere worship. Worship that is sincere is worship that we offer to our creator. It is true worship, worship that comes from our hearts with no hidden agenda, no ulterior motives. We're not just doing it because others are doing it. Uh, this type of worship comes from deep inside. Uh, it has the has to do with fully understanding who God is, right? That he created us, that he saves us from the sin virus, uh, and that life just wouldn't make sense without him in it. It's living each and every day knowing that he is the reason that we're getting out of bed in the morning. Next, we have token worship. So token worship can actually look a lot like the real thing at times, uh, but it falls short uh, of sincere worship because we're just playing the game. Uh, Maybe we grew up in church, so it's just part of our routine. Uh, Maybe it's to look good for others. Uh, Maybe a significant other is asking us to worship with them, and we're just going along so that they won't dump us. Uh, Whatever the scenario, the common theme is that this worship is not connected to our hearts. Uh, This worship is more of an outward display for the benefit of others, uh, more than a direct connection between us and our Creator. Token worship is probably something we've all engaged in at some point in our life, and while it isn't the goal, um, it, it also isn't the end of the world. 
Um, you know, there will be times in our lives when we find ourselves in a bad way, in a dark place, you know, not playing at our A game. Uh, during these periods of time, token worship can actually keep us connected to the one thing we need most. Just being there and going through the motions can actually be a lifeline of sorts. You know, going to church, listening to music, uh, singing songs, praying before meals, or praying before going to bed, uh, maybe praying out of an obligation with our kids, you know, before bedtime. All of these things, you know, keep us connected on some level and make it easier or more likely uh, that we'll, we'll get back to sincere worship at some point. And then finally, you have worldly worship, um, which is everything else, basically. So the simple way to explain this category is to say, anything we feed into the worship void uh, that isn't God. Pretty straightforward, right? And while there are too many to list, uh, here are a few of the obvious ones, obvious worldly pursuits that uh, many of us struggle with. So you have things like money, career, power, fame, uh, material possessions, food, shopping, gambling, sex, drugs, and alcohol, things like that. And then there are, are the ones that seem good on the outside that can actually become worldly worship. So things like your kids, exercise, health, cleanliness, uh, all of these are good things. And in moderation, there's nothing wrong with them. However, if one of these becomes your entire world, you are in essence worshiping it. So let's look through a, a couple of those as an example. So let's just take your kids, for example. Um, obviously, your kids are a huge part of your life. You're supposed to you know, spend time with them. You're supposed to do everything you can to uh, train them up in the way that they should go. Uh, but, but when it starts to border on, on worship is when your kids are your entire world and your world literally revolves around them. Um, you know, when you're, when you're going out of your way to do things for them that is actually enabling bad behavior, um, you know, when you're lying for them or stealing for them or, um, you know, paying for them to get into a, a college that they don't deserve to be in, perhaps, you know, those are all uh, examples of how you you might be worshiping your kids or, or living your life vicariously through your kids. Another example would be, you know, in the in the exercise world, you know, you can push exercise to the extreme to where it's it's all you think about. And it's what you do day in and day out. Um, it's it's the thing that, you know, instead of just being an add on. Uh, to make you a healthier person, it becomes your main focus. Um, and so that's another uh, way that you can take something that's good and actually begin to worship it. And then finally, there are a few that are, you know, ex I would consider extremely sinister and very hard to see. So, you know, this, this is where people like pastors, uh, worship leaders, church workers, uh, leaders in the, the church or nonprofit world, spiritual bloggers, podcasters, influencers, you know, these people are impacted on, on a very sinister level. Um, again, all good things to, you know, to be in these professions, to do this line of work. Um, but at some point in that profession, you know, there is a line that can be crossed, right? It can go from being humble, working for God, working for the kingdom, to more of an arrogant, I'm really good at this, and people should look up to me because I'm just that good. 
Uh, it's a sad reality, but we see it all the time. You know, high-level spiritual leaders who kind of forget why they got into their line of work in the first place, and they start to think that it's all about them, uh, which typically leads to behavior that is incongruent with the very beliefs that they're speaking about and that they hold others to. You know, having worked for the church for over 15 years, I saw firsthand how this can impact leaders. But it wasn't just them. I could see it in myself. You know, over over time, I started to see elements like this sneaking into my own life, feeling spiritual simply because I worked at a church, uh, thinking that my work was a substitute for, for basic worship elements like reading the Bible or praying, uh, you know, viewing my work at the church as my ministry and, and not choosing, choosing not to serve others outside of, you know, the work I was doing at the church. And at times, even getting caught up in the work for work's sake, you know, forgetting why I was really doing the job. Uh, which then led to it becoming more about me and my skills uh, and things like that. So, you know, it's definitely a struggle that I'm sure many people in ministry face. So those are the three basic buckets that I, I wanted to talk through. You know, we've got the sincere worship, token worship, and worldly worship. But I can hear people asking the following question. How can I tell when I'm worshiping something? And how can I tell if it's sincere, token, or worldly worship? So I'm going to do a little worship quiz here. Uh, here's a simple assessment to at least help you decide if you're worshiping something. Um, so let's start with these three questions. What do I spend large amounts of money on? What do I spend large amounts of time doing? And what do I spend large amounts of time thinking about? Right? So money, time, and thinking. If you're honest with yourself, these questions uh, should immediately start forming a list for you, right? And once you have the list created, you should be able to walk through that list and, and place them in the category we talked about, whether sincere, token, or worldly. So from there, once you have this list, right, it's, it's up to you to do what you need to do next. And here are some of the things that you could do. So there may be some things that you need to stop altogether. There may be some things that you need to start doing more of. Maybe there's some worldly worship things going on that, uh, that you could downgrade a little bit and just move to hobby status, right, with, with moderation being the key. And then there may be some things that you know you can't change on your own, right, things that are more related to mental health, uh, you know, severe mental health issues like chronic depression or chemical dependency um, that may require help right? Uh, you know, getting treatment in order to move away from those things uh, that has become a, a worldly version of worship in your life. Uh, this is important, though. You know, it's not to be taken lightly. The Bible makes it clear that worldly worship can interfere with our relationship with our Creator. Uh, Jesus explained it this way, using money as an example uh, of something that people tend to worship. So in Matthew 6.24, it says, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. So obviously this is specific to money, but it's a very good illustration of the way we incorporate other forms of worship into our lives. Right, Things that become little g gods, uh, we call them. And the main point to be taken from this is that the worship void in our life needs to be filled with sincere worship 
versus worldly worship or versus token worship. If we are to truly find peace, let me say that again, the worship void in our life needs to be filled with sincere worship versus token or worldly worship if we are truly to find peace. End of story. Drop the mic. Just kidding. We still have more to go. Number four, the worship book. So one thing that I haven't really touched on during these episodes is that uh, each of the basic assumptions in controversy theory are split out into two, two parts. So in the manuscript, each chapter has two sections. Uh, first, there's the content piece uh, where the theory is presented. So these are the things that we've been talking through you know, in each episode on the podcast. But then second, um, I actually had a, like a story from the Bible illustrating each of the basic assumptions. So the idea was to walk people through the sometimes heady concepts first and then bring it back to, to real life you know, with stories about people or real life examples. Uh, so up until now, I've kind of kept the Bible stories out of the podcast episodes. Uh, you know, I don't know why. Maybe I assumed that the content was good enough to stand on its own. Maybe I was a little nervous that people would feel like they were being preached to, or maybe it just all came down to the length of the episodes, and I kind of got worried that it would get way too long. But whatever the case, uh, things have worked out fine until now. So as I was preparing this episode, I was reading through the Bible story section, uh, and I remembered just how important this story piece was, especially for this episode. Uh, how much it helped to flesh out the idea of worship and how important it was to the overall legitimacy, you know, not only of this basic assumption, but for controversy theory in and of itself. So I decided to include it this time. I'm not sure what I'll do in the future, future episodes, if I'll add them in or or not, but at least for this episode, uh, you're going to get both pieces. So double the content for your money, so to say. Don't say I never did anything for you. (laughs) All right, so the Bible story for this basic assumption is called The Worship Book, uh, and it's really a collection of stories taken from the book of Daniel, which is perfect because each of the stories in the book have worship as the theme or plot. A little tangent, side note here, I, I find it fascinating that the book of Daniel is a prophetic book. So... Uh, A prophetic book is one that describes, you know, actual people or kingdoms or events that are prophesied to do certain things in the future uh, and and at the end of time. So similar to the book of Revelation, uh, Daniel has those elements, right? And the crazy thing is that every story in the book of Daniel has to do with worship. So to me, there's no mistaking the significance Um, You know, controversy theory suggests that worship is an important piece of our daily lives, but also that worship will be one of those deciding factors at the end of time, that somehow worship will factor into, um, you know, who is being sincere and who is not. So this is one of those areas that I'm super passionate about and I could spend a lot of time on, but for your sake, uh, I'll move on and try to summarize it just as, as quickly as possible. So here we go. Um, I'll highlight the story, each story in the book, and how worship fits into the story, and eventually the outcome of the story. So just a heads up, there will be spoilers um, in case you're planning on reading the book of Daniel in the near future. Um, I'm going to spoil each and every one of these stories, so apologies for that ahead of time. All right, story number one, 
Daniel and friends. So here's the story. Uh, Babylon captured Israel. Uh, Daniel and his friends were taken captive, uh, but they were allowed to work for the king since they were uh, kind of part of the Israeli nobility uh, at the time. They were forced to eat what the king ate and the, and the people in the king's court and all of the other captives at the time. However, they did not eat a lot of the foods that were being presented to them that was not part of their uh, spiritual or religious beliefs to eat certain uh, forms of food. And so they requested they, they be allowed to eat the foods that they grew up on, uh, f- foods that they, in, in essence, believed were better for them. So the king granted their request, uh, but only for a set amount of time. And then at the end of that time, he would test all members of the court uh, to kind of see if there was any difference based on the, the foods they ate. So the worship area in this story is obviously food, right? What we eat and whether we eat to live or live to eat. And so the story proves at least one thing. uh, We are what we eat. So the outcome, spoiler alert, uh, not that it really matters, but at the end of the time period, Daniel and his friends were healthier and did better in their studies than everyone else based on the king's testing process. And because of this, um, they ascended in the court hierarchy and they achieved positions of authority uh, simply because of some of the small choices they made, like what they ate. So interesting story, uh, the worship area being kind of a a worldly worship aspect, which is food. Uh, Next up, Daniel and the king's dream. So the story goes that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he couldn't remember it. He asked all of his magicians, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what the dream was, but none of them were able to do so. So Daniel explained that God could tell the king his dream if he would just give Daniel some time. So the king agreed. Daniel went away, had a a dream, and God revealed the king's dream to Daniel. Not only revealed what it was, but the interpretation of the dream as well. So the worship area here... Uh, is sincere worship. Uh, The question is, who are you actually worshiping? So the difference was the scene between Daniel and the magicians, right? So the magicians, sorcerers, and astrologers were actually worshiping dark forces and thus could not tell the king his dream. But Daniel was sincerely worshiping the true God. And so because of this, he was able to tell the king his dream. And as far as the outcome, again, not that it really matters, but Daniel continued to serve in the court of the king and had a level of power and authority that others uh, really couldn't achieve. Now, the reason I say it doesn't really matter uh, is is just because I, I don't want you to think that uh, Daniel or his friends, you know, were, were worshiping God in order to get something, in order to move up in the court uh, with the king Uh, you know, that that was their intent or their main goal. Um, The fact that they became successful is just a byproduct, you know, of the sincere worship that they were providing God. All right, next story is the fiery furnace. So because of the dream uh, that Daniel had revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar, the king became nervous, right? He decided to build a giant statue of himself. Uh, Then he required everyone in the kingdom to stop what they were doing and worship the statue. So at the time, Daniel had three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And they were Israelites like Daniel, and they believed that it was wrong to worship anyone or anything other than the one true God. So when the king pulled everyone out into the great plain uh, and had them worship the statue, uh, they refused. Now the king had a, a punishment all set up and ready to go for the people who chose not to worship. Uh, it was a fiery furnace, and it was stoked uh, so hot that um, you know you couldn't get anywhere near it, really, or it would kill you. So the king saw uh, Daniel's friends standing and and said, "You know why aren't you worshiping?" And they told him, "You know we cannot worship you. We we only worship God." And so the king, obviously irritated and frustrated, took the three men and threw them into the furnace. So again, the obvious uh, worship area here is is sincere worship, right? Will you worship God or will you worship someone else? Now the outcome, and this time it does matter a lot, uh, you know, when the men were thrown into the fiery furnace, it was so hot that the men who threw them in actually died throwing them in. Um, but the crazy thing of the story is that God protected them. You know, when they were thrown into the furnace, they actually got up and just started walking around in the flames until the king told them to come out. Now, here's a bonus outcome. The Bible also explains that while the three were there in the flames, God actually appeared and stood with them. How crazy would that be, huh? An immediate validation that, that you made the right decision and that you were worshiping sincerely. Next story is the fall of the king. So King Nebuchadnezzar struggled, obviously, with his allegiance, right? There were moments where he almost turned and gave worship to God because of the things he saw, like the, the, the fiery furnace situation. But his pride and his power eventually got the best of him. One night, he was looking out over his balcony, uh, looking out over the entire kingdom, and he made this statement. Is this not the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Daniel 4.30 So obviously the, the worship area here is pride or self-worship. And the outcome? Again, this outcome mattered a lot. No sooner had the words left the king's mouth and the Bible describes that he ceased to be human. He lost his mind and he fled fled the kingdom to live in the fields with wild animals, and he was there for seven years. The interesting thing to me about this is that God allowed the kingdom to continue for those seven years, almost like in a holding pattern. And the Bible explains that after the seven years, uh, the king actually regained his mind and began praising or worshiping God, and it says his kingdom was restored to him. Crazy story. Next up, Belshazzar and the Drunken Feast. So later in his life, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was probably getting tired of his life in the palace, and so maybe he started traveling or doing other things. But at any rate, uh, during this time, he left his kingdom in the hands of Belshazzar. Now I'm guessing Belshazzar was loving his newfound power, right? You know, here's this massive kingdom, and, and he gets to rule it. So when Nebuchadnezzar was away... Um, Belshazzar decided he was going to have a big old party, right? So he called all of the important people together and had a massive party, which included a lot of drinking, uh, worshiping the Babylonian gods, 
and mocking the God of the Israelites. They went and found some of the stuff that they had uh, taken from the Israelite temple, so some golden uh, goblets and, and things like that, and they used them uh, to drink their wine from. And while they were partying, they were making fun of God and making fun of the Israelites uh, for being overrun and for being placed into uh, captivity. Now, the worship area here is is just all sorts of worldly worship, uh, alcohol, gluttony, pride, uh, things like that, as well as failing to sincerely worship the true God, worshiping Babylonian gods instead. Now, the outcome, again, very important this time, uh, during the party, a large hand appeared and wrote the words on the walls uh, for everyone to see, but the words were illegible. Right? The people couldn't read the words that were being written. So the king sum- summoned Daniel again. Uh, he knew Daniel was someone who had interpreted things before. So he called Daniel, and Daniel came. Uh, and Daniel explained that the words said, Babylon will fall this very night. Belshazzar laughed. That's hilarious. And he went back to partying. But that night, it happened. So Babylon fell to the Medes and Persians, uh, who had been planning a sneak attack for forever. Uh, and, and while they partied, uh, their whole kingdom fell. And finally, we have Daniel in the lion's den. So when the Medes and Persians took over, uh, the king, King Darius, uh, you know, kept people like Daniel around, probably because he had a reputation for being smart and that he was able to interpret dreams. And so Daniel was, was kept in the court. And there's a chance that over time the king grew to really like and trust Daniel. Now because of this, others in the court uh, began to dislike Daniel. They became jealous and eventually hatched a plot to get rid of him. They convinced the king to sign a decree that everyone in the kingdom should worship him for 30 days. Now, anyone choosing not to do so would be thrown into a den of lions. And these men knew that Daniel would no way follow that decree, right? They, Daniel wouldn't worship the king. So they simply waited for him to worship his God like he always did. And then they took a few pictures and went back to the king. So the worship area here is, will you worship the true God? or an earthly god in the form of a man, or in this case, the king. The outcome, again, very important. The king was heartbroken and angry that he had been fooled by members of his own court. And yet, it was a law. It was a law he had made, and in that time, when a law was signed, it had to be fulfilled. And so he gave Daniel over to the the people who threw him into the lion's den to make sure that the laws were seen as important and unchangeable in the kingdom. Uh, That night, God sent angels into the lion's den, and they shut the mouths of the lions, which must have been a crazy thing. You know, when I was growing up as a kid and I would hear this story, I would just sit and, and try to picture it in my head, you know, picture angels coming down, feeding the lions, Uh, you know, maybe feeding them something so good that they were just immediately full and just wanted to go to sleep. Uh, The the lion's stomachs probably felt more full than they ever had in their entire life. You know, and and I just pictured Daniel laying down with his head on one of the lions, you know, getting an amazing night's sleep. At any rate, in the morning, the king rushed to the lion's den and, and had the stone rolled away from the entrance, and he called to Daniel, assuming the worst. Uh, But then Daniel walked out into the light, safe and sound, and said, 
No, God sent angels to protect me. So bonus outcome, um, not sure I could call this bonus material, but you know, the, the interesting thing is that the king was so angry uh, at the men who plotted to kill Daniel that he had them thrown into the lion's den for the things that they had done. And unfortunately for these men, the angels were not there to help. Okay, so those are all of the stories in the book of Daniel. However, at the very end, uh, there is another section called Daniel's Prayer. So the story behind this is that, you know, at, at, the, at the very end of the book, um, there's a prayer that Daniel prayed to the one true God after being shown the future. So Daniel had had a dream, and he had been shown all of these things which would happen in the future, uh, and potentially even at the end of time. And undoubtedly, Daniel was scared and sad at, at what he saw, right? The violence, the destruction, uh, the pain that was to come upon the earth. And so he prayed in a way that, uh, that we would recognize as sincere worship. So there really is no worship category here. There's no right versus wrong. This is more just a, an example of how Daniel's prayer uh, was seen as sincere worship. And then in terms of an outcome, um, you know, there was an amazing outcome for Daniel in this whole thing. Uh, God recognized his sincere worship. God recognized that he, you know, was struggling. And so God sent an angel to comfort him. And the angel told Daniel that he was greatly beloved. So just an amazing end to a life of faithful, sincere worship. All right, let's land the plane. This has been a long episode, uh, but this week I want you to do the following. So think back on your childhood. Uh, were, were you raised with an understanding of what it meant to worship? If so, how does it match up to what we talked about today? Uh, if not, is this something that makes sense? Uh, is this something that you can incorporate into your life? Next, take the worship quiz. So ask yourself, what do I spend large amounts of money on? What do I spend large amounts of time doing? And what do I spend large amounts of time thinking about? Uh, from the answers to these questions, create your list uh, of things that you tend to worship in your life, and then work on the sincere worship elements and try to cut back on the worldly ones. Based on this list, have you been trying to worship two gods at the same time? And finally, uh, if you feel up to it, open up the book of Daniel and just read each of the stories that we just talked through. It's fast, it's easy, and there's some really fun stories. Finally, uh, controversy theory suggests that our worship is one of the biggest things we struggle with in life, and that if we can just get it figured out, a whole host of other issues might cease to be issues in the process. Next week, uh, we jump into a topic that nobody's thrilled about. Um, the fifth basic assumption is all about rules and regulations. So we'll look forward to that. Um, <laughs> again, if you're enjoying the series on controversy theory, uh, tell a friend or family member, shoot them an email, post about it on social media, or uh, just give us a good rating and review on, on Apple Podcasts. But thanks again for being with us. And until next time, keep transcending human.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, There's nothing better than word-of-mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, This will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, Thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.